0: Welcome back to another episode of 200 and Counting. I'm your host, Tia Hill. And this week, we are diving into a topic that for a long time, I actually avoided watching any documentaries about, but it's called Jonestown Terror in the Jungle, and it is a four-part docuseries that tells the story of the People's Temple and the mass suicide that took place in Guyana in 1978. He offered salvation and a better world, but it came at a deadly cost. People are being held here against their will. The leader has lost is mine. Now let's just jump right into it. Well, first of all, the reason that for a long time I never watched any documentaries about this story is because it really freaked me out. I love a cult documentary, but this one, I just really was not feeling it. I am Guyanese. My mom's side of the family is Guyanese. I've been to Guyana like three or four times now. Like the first time going, I was like a little kid. It is a beautiful place. I love it. But what annoys me is that most people either A, don't know where Guyana is, or B, if they do know nine times out of 10, they know Jonestown, but not Guyana itself. And that used to really bother me because I hated the fact that this terrible thing had happened there and thus overshadowed everything else that anyone had ever bothered to learn about our country. So for a long time, I avoided documentaries on the topic, but eventually like a year or two ago, I watched another Jonestown documentary, but this one, Terror in the Jungle, You know, it was a Sundance pick. And like I said, it's across four parts. And I can honestly say that it did not disappoint me, but it is extremely heavy. So if you're sensitive to topics like this, specifically around suicide, this may not be the episode for you. Now, if you've ever heard the phrase drinking the Kool-Aid, Jonestown is where that phrase comes from. It was when this man, Jim Jones, a cult leader, brought his group People's Temple to Guyana and they built a community and he got them to all drink this Kool-Aid knockoff. Actually, it was called Flavor-Aid that had cyanide in it and they all killed themselves. And as far as I knew, that was just, that's just what it was. Cause I'd never dug into too much detail because again, it bothered me. So the series starts off talking about the man, Jim Jones himself. Surprise, surprise. He was a weirdo. They talk about how when he was a kid, he'd make the other kids come to these funerals that he would hold for dead animals. And he would sit there and preach at these funerals. They also said that he was fascinated by the way Hitler could get crowds to do things. And anybody who feels any type of positive way towards Hitler, they gotta be put on a watch list. I'm sorry, but they do. That should have been the first clue right there, lock his ass up. But Jim Jones was very charismatic. He wanted to be a preacher. He loved the Pentecostal preachers and the Pentecostal churches and how they preach, which is very in a very lively kind of way. And so he founded the first integrated church in Indiana actually. And he kind of became a hero for people in the area. Now mind you, the People's Temple was a very diverse group of people That's another thing that always freaked me out is like, I would say from footage, I would venture to say that most of the members of People's Temple were black. There were, it was, it was, it was kind of crazy, which, which freaks me out. He had this integrated church and they legit spent five minutes when they're talking about this church he had in Indiana, they spent a whole five minutes being like, black people love this guy. And so when he formed the People's Temple, he wanted it to be about integration and da, 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 you know, taking down segregation, this, that, and the third. I'm here as a sample, an example to show you that you can bring yourself up with your own bootstraps and you can become your god not in condescension but in resurrection in upliftment from whatever condition economic injustice or servitude or racism you might have to endure within you rest the keys of deliverance. He had this vision for the People's Temple where it was about being a humanitarian, helping others, volunteering. He wanted to break down racial barriers. He adopted kids of all different races and called them his rainbow family. He said, quote, let's try to vary our family so we will be the embodiment of how all races belong together. Like, cool story, bro. Just that alone is not going to do it. Literally his one son, who is white, literally the son was like, I'm pretty sure he just did this like just for attention. And I really don't even know if he believed any of this because all he cared about was attention. And I was like, well, there you go. But then eventually he decided to move because he wanted to get bigger. He wanted to get out of the state. So they moved to California, membership triples. And then it starts becoming kind of culty. He was separating people's families. And so different parents were taking care of random kids. And then they had everybody refer to him and his wife as mom and dad. That breaking down of people's own families so it's one big family, that's sus to me. While I do understand this vision of community, I get it community is very important to me too chosen family very very important that's a real thing but this was extremely controlling because he also had a rule about no sex in the group it's always no sex with these cults what is up with that it's no sex for everybody else but then the leader of the cult they're always going around humping anything that moves like all right what was interesting about the church is that he was always performing these miracles we've seen Sister Brown here, who was blind, totally healed. Saw one of our sisters blind from her childhood. It could be hysterical blindness, whatever. We're not concerned. She was blind and could not see. Now, look at my face. I'm going to hold up some fingers. How many fingers? One finger. One finger. You don't even need your glasses, child. And this is important because it establishes the basis for why so many people might've followed this man so blindly and why they might've believed his every word in the way that they did. And also keeping in mind that it was the seventies. And I think people in general were a lot less skeptical back then than they were now. A lot was happening in the seventies. There were a lot of cults. One of the things that he would do very often is he would do healings. So for example, He had a woman who'd broken her leg and she was in a cast. And so they brought her up in front of the church, literally held her up. And then they cut the cast off in front of everyone. And he was like, go walk and she could run and dance and everyone was like oh my god oh my god turns out they drugged her and put the cast on while she was asleep and then when she woke up they told her that she had fallen and broken her leg and then they made her do that whole song and dance like what kind of mind games is he playing here there's also a moment where the whole church is outside and he gets shot in the chest and they're like oh my gosh father father's dead Side note, I don't like that he is the father. I thought the focal point of this is that they're supposed to be focused on God. Anyway, they go into the church and they carry him back. And then someone comes out and shows his shirt with blood all over it and the two bullet holes. And then here comes Jim Jones being like, hey, I healed myself, you got me, LOL. I healed myself, it's so crazy. Isn't that crazy? So naturally, the members of People's Temple were like, this guy is supernatural. He's got powers, he has powers. And he grew so much in popularity. The church was growing so much in size, Random tidbit they threw in there. He was invited to Jimmy Carter's inauguration. Very weird fact. Did not know that. Whole time though, they are literally beating the shit out of any member who acted out of line. There are tape recordings of him being like, you punk, get him. And it sounds crazy. Good old Stanley. Somebody feels sorry for him. Who the fuck's going to feel sorry for you? Why didn't he feel sorry for you while you were in town representatives? Why the f didn't he feel sorry for you? Where your ass at, Stanley? You better not get your nose up because I'm sick of your ass too. It's always the wild boys. It's always the leaders who turn out to be insane, who keep recordings of every conversation, by the way. But I applaud the filmmakers for having had access to all of these recordings because it really adds to the story. they threw in a bit of B-roll at an appropriate spot. They play the recordings over time pop, it is just so, so smooth. At one point, he gives everyone in the church something to drink and they're sitting there and they're drinking their little drink. And then he's like, it's poison. And everyone's freaking out. And then he's like, "Ah, just kidding. It's not poison. Ah. But if it was, and to me, I feel like if I'm in a group and somebody's played this many games with me, I would be like, oh no, I have to leave just off the strength of that because what is so funny about a mass poisoning in and of itself? But they were like, oh he's testing our loyalty, da 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 in case we need to kill ourselves for the cause. So anyway he's out here in California, while and out you know, the church. Yes, at times it was a positive place, but for the most part it seemed to be a lot of trickery and a lot of deception and at times straight up violence and so out of an abundance of caution and because he was worried the cops would come for him Jim Jones is like, guys, we gotta get out of the US, just in case. So he ends up working out a deal with the Guyanese government, which I did not know. I did not know that they had a deal with him to bring the group to Guyana and to form what they called a, quote, agricultural community known as Jonestown. I've got some land over there with a black president. I'm sending my people there little by little. Now, first of all, as I said, I never knew the Guyanese government struck a deal with him. So that was disappointing to learn. But secondly, there were two people who pronounced Guyana properly in the whole documentary. People see the name. They want to add all these inflections to places where it's not their Guyana and whatnot, it's Guyana, point blank, period. So let's just get that out the way. But what bothers me about him being in Guyana, I was talking about that earlier. First off, they say he chose it because it's socialist, it's mostly minority, and it's the only country in South America where the official language is English because it was ultimately colonized by Britain. That just does not that just does not sit well with me. Why did he have to pick a country full of people of color to do this nonsense? And why did he bring this cult that is mostly people of color to this random country? full of minorities that he seemed to love so much. I, it's just odd to me. What bothered me is that, and this still happens, people see our countries, they see the Caribbean, they see Latin America, you know, African countries, Asian countries as these travel destinations full of jungle wilderness, wonderland to explore uninhabitable regions. They're like, forget the people, you know? They never talk about the people that live there. And the one thing is that whenever you hear the story of Jonestown, you don't hear the story of Guyana. Guyana's only function in the story is the vehicle for which he was able to do the mass suicide. And they got Guyana looking crazy for letting this happen when, mind you, Guyana had only just gotten its independence from Britain in 1970 a few years earlier. So yeah, they're probably gonna strike a deal with a rich American thinking it's a good idea, even though it wasn't. And so what bothers me is there's kind of this cultural erasure of the country. And now people are just like Guyana, Jonestown, when there's so much more to Guyana. Like people don't know that Guyana is a Caribbean country. People don't know that it's where it is, that it's in South America, all of these things. He's billing it as the promised land, And then Jim Jones is telling people this is a promised land. And I'm like, no, that is my promised land. Guyana is my promised land, Jim Jones. Anyway, they go down to Guyana and they set up camp in what's called the interior. So there's the capital, which is Georgetown. And that's like the main city. And then, you know, there's towns throughout Guyana. And then when you get to the interior part of the country, a lot of the countryside towns are very, very um, secluded in the first place. But to get to the interior, which is the jungle part of the country, these days you have to take a very, 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 very tiny little plane and fly. And there are parts of Guyana that are truly isolated from the rest of the world. It is such a beautiful feeling to be there because you truly feel free for the moment that you're passing through. No internet, no phone, nothing. Literally just vibes, just vibes. Anyway, Jonestown was set up in the interior. So at that time, they had to take a 19-hour boat ride to get there. And honestly, even as a Guyanese, I would not be doing that mess. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That boat ride alone would have stopped me. I could have been totally indoctrinated. I could have been drinking the Kool-Aid every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But my motion sickness would have said, hello, Mr. Jones. Um, Sir, I'm going to have to see y'all later because there is no way I'm getting on a dang 19-hour boat ride. That is crazy. But they ended up with around a thousand people out there at Jonestown. And immediately they're like, yeah, there wasn't enough food. but not enough food. He had money where he could have bought more food, there just was not enough. Jonestown was described as this paradise and it was not. Former member Leslie Wagner-Wilson says followers were overworked and underfed. And then as time wore on, I realized that there was no future in Jonestown. And all of this really starts to unfold in episode 3. And to be honest, one of my only quips about this documentary is I really drag out episode 3. It had to happen, but by the end I was like, okay, this could have been shorter. But again, I appreciate all the BTS footage. I appreciate the detail, but the man, yes, he was unhinged. At Jonestown, Jim Jones has a drug problem. He's got a hole that he puts people in to punish them. They used to do that during slavery. That is sick. And the footage, they were in the cut. Nobody is coming to get them. So like, what's your end goal in going there? So if the man tells you get in the pit, you're going to have to get in the dang, you're going to have to get in the dang hole because what, what choice do you have? It seemed like everyone was content with just living out there forever. And to an extent, I do get it because who among us has not considered it? But bro. Bro. And back in California, people's relatives are getting concerned. This one woman who had escaped had to leave her son behind until so she tries to get a court order to get him back. And Jim Jones gets word of this court order and goes to everyone and he's like, hey, the Guyanese army is going to come kill us. They're going to come kill all of us. So you have to stay up all night to fight them. So he tells everybody this every single day for six days straight. Has people thinking they're going to get slaughtered. Everybody's like falling asleep, standing up, trying to keep guard. And eventually, a congressman from California, Congressman Ryan, is like, I'm going to look into this myself. So he he plans a congressional delegation trip to Guyana to visit Jonestown. In November 1978, a concerned congressman, Leo Ryan, flew to Guyana to investigate, accompanied by NBC News. While some followers praised Jonestown. Others want it out. And all the former members back in California were like, do not go, this man is going to kill you. And the congressman is like, "Uh, okay, folks, all right. So then the night that he gets there, he has no way to leave. They do this whole song and dance for him and perform. Everybody in the commune comes out. And one of the people who really wants to leave slips somebody in Congressman Ryan's camp a note. And the note is like, please get us the hell out of here. And mind you, up until then, they'd interviewed people and everyone was like, this place is awesome. We never want to leave. And then someone slips a note and the congressman goes to him, and he's like, it's all right. You're good. You have a congressional shield of protection. You're safe with me. May he rest in peace. But that does not make any sense. And the man from Jonestown even says himself, he was like, that was the craziest thing I'd ever heard in my life. So then tell me why the congressman goes, confronts Jim Jones and is like, hey, so somebody passed me this note and they said they want to leave. And then all of a sudden everybody else is like, yeah, you know what? Actually, I kind of want to leave too. I kind of want to leave too. You know, we, we actually don't like it here. And Jim is like, fine, whatever, leave. And all of this, what happens next all happened so quickly. They managed to drag it out across the documentary but it mainly it mainly happens all the same day and so you wouldn't even know a group starts to leave with a congressman two groups and Jim Jones legit just sent shooters out there to kill everybody including the congressman some people survived and they are in the documentary being interviewed some of the the followers of Jim Jones came and shot uh, to death Uh, what five people and and you were badly wounded shot five times Um, Jackie Spear, how did you get through you lay there no medical care for no medical care for 22 hours on that airstrip uh, for a long period of time waiting for the lights to go out and at this point Jones is telling everyone at the camp, everybody on the airship just got gunned down. Jim Jones is telling everyone else back at camp, listen, they're coming for us. We have to do it. We have to just kill ourselves. And what's even wilder is there is a tape recording. There's a tape recording of the moment that he had everyone drink this Kool-Aid. And I'm going to play a clip of it. It's called the death tape. But please note that it is extremely, extremely disturbing. Because we are not committing suicide. It's a revolutionary act. We can't go back. They won't leave us alone. They're now going back to tell more lies, which means more congressmen. And there's no way, no way we can survive. It's some really sick shit, honestly. There's no, there's really no other way to describe it. And not everyone wanted to do it. A lot of people fought against it. A lot of people were forced. He made parents and adults give this drink to the children first. And in the documentary, there's a really moving montage. Oh my gosh, where it's like pictures of the kids of Jonestown. And then his voice is talking underneath. And it's so creepy. And he's talking about, you know, give the kids... The drink first, da 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 da. And over 300 children died at Jonestown. It is really, really some dark stuff. Like they were giving it to baby. Oh. It's just really sick. They also point out that death by drinking cyanide literally suffocates you alive. And the people they interview in the documentary who saw this, props to the producers and to the director who had to pull this information out of them because I can only imagine how traumatizing it must've been for them to relive this story and tell it on camera so vividly without holding back. And in the face of all of this, Jim Jones didn't even die by cyanide. He died from a gunshot wound to the head. didn't even take the poison. And so the Guyanese army went into the jungle that evening and found hundreds of bodies dead in that field, which again, traumatizing. Now, mind you, be aware if you watch this, that they have no qualms about showing a body. My God, they will show you a body. The bodies of at least 409 men, women, and children, some shot to death, most apparently self-poisoned, have been found at the Guyana jungle camp of People's Temple. Among the bodies were those of the temple's fanatical founder, the Reverend Jim Jones, his wife, and at least one of their children. And one thing that I found very kind of weird is that they have so much footage of the bodies in Jonestown after the incident, but news crews would have had to fly all the way down to Guyana to get that footage right after the news broke. I know it's a 10 hour flight from New York. So they just left the bodies out there till then. It's not relevant to the story, but I just, that kept bothering me. I was like, how long did they have to leave the body sitting there before press could come see, before they could come dispose of all of that? Whose job was that? Is that person okay? That is terrifying. Today, they said that what was formerly Jonestown was lost to the jungle, just completely eaten alive so it's not there anymore. Those who survived Jonestown went back to the US and of course they're hounded by the media to speak on it. And they're like, dude, we just witnessed everybody we know and love, you know, dead in a mass suicide. We don't wanna to talk to you. Are they, are they disgusted with Jim Jones right now, what he did, the people inside the headquarters here? The people here inside of the headquarters did not know what had happened until I related to them what I've been relating to you. And they're in a state of shock. And they don't know what to say and what to think. A lot of us feel that we've been depicted as monsters. And, uh, you know, we feel very deeply the terrible, terrible tragedy that was happened. But, you know, the documentary ties it up nicely, I think, dedicating it to former members who had passed, talking about where Jim Jones' sons are now, how they're doing, And there's also a really interesting discussion around who joins cults, because, again, it is very easy to look at this and say, what kind of person follows a man into the jungle? Because to me, Jim Jones looks sus from the very beginning, looks like Elwood from the Blues Brothers. But for these people who genuinely wanted to believe in community, to believe in humanitarianism, to believe in all the positive aspects of the people's temple, it seemed like a great idea. Now, I can't say I agree with that. But what fascinates me about cults and about things like that is that people are so often driven and attracted to personality, attracted to that razzle dazzle. And they don't necessarily think deeper about situations, think deeper about what it is that someone is telling them because they look up to this person. They think this person is so cool and amazing and great. They don't stop to think, is what this person is saying beneficial to me like at the end they're like our mission was so pure and good and I'm like did y'all not get your ass beat in a circle when you acted up like am I missing something as far as the documentary goes I thought they covered this very respectfully it really drew me in it was four episodes but I was genuinely interested in each one they had amazing interviews with survivors they were so raw and they also had what felt like every piece of footage that had ever existed of this man through all stages of his life and it really paints for you a clear picture of what happened at Jonestown but also the why behind Jonestown because I think the question I always asked was why. I would have also loved a step deeper into that why and even just a 15 minute portion about Guyana. That still kind of irked me. In every story about Jonestown, Guyana is nothing more than the backdrop for this incident. There's never any discussion about how this incident affected Guyanese people. What do Guyanese people think about Jonestown? I've asked my family members many times before, but it would be an interesting angle that almost never gets explored when we talk about Jonestown and when we talk about the tragedy that happened there. But overall, this is a really, really good docuseries. I have appreciated the detail. I appreciated the footage, the interviews. I give it a solid four stars. I genuinely enjoyed it. And if you're looking for a good, long cult documentary that you can commit to watching, this is definitely, definitely worth your time. Anyway, that is it for today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode of 200 and Counting and you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe. And if you liked hearing my voice, feel free to follow me on other social media platforms to check out the rest of my work. I'll have links in the description. And if you want to continue to hear my voice on this podcast series, make sure that you write a review. All right, thanks so much for listening and I will see you on the next episode.